ready to begin. What year is this? The year is 2020, and this is Beyond Sin. Well, hey there. Welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 240. And today I have two guests. Uh, First up, we'll be having a little chat with Ships in the Night. And then later in the show, we'll be chatting with Baldocaster. All right. So you get two guests for the price of one today. I hope everyone is doing all right. Uh, We'll get right to it and start listening to some music. Now, obviously, you know that uh, Beyond Synth is supported by the awesome Patreon supporters and the PayPals and uh, the kings of the Pattersons. There's Chris Dance, Robert D. Bishop, and Mike Shima. And uh, the other day, Chris messaged me on Twitter and he said, Play Endless Summer by the Midnight. And I want to let you people know that although I cannot be bought, I sort of can. <laughs> because if the kings of the Pattersons want me to play a track, I'm going to play a track. So let's get this show started and listen to some music. This is The Midnight with the track Endless Summer, and it is, of course, dedicated to the kings of the Pattersons, and of course, Chris Dance, who was the first king of the Pattersons, I guess, right? I hope you're doing well and uh, keeping safe and all that stuff, all right? So here we go. Here is The Midnight with Endless Summer.
Disappeared in a camera flash Why do the bad girls never last? Lost in gin and lemonade Electro spins in the mermaid parade
All right, and that was The Midnight with Endless Summer. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, you know, you got to give Jacob Wick some credit for being a cool guy, all right? And I would extend that same credit to City Hunter, who is also a really cool guy with the 4488 and the 42, respectively. You guys are awesome supporters of Beyond Synth. Whoops. The fuck? Okay. Sorry, I just uh, got my wires all cabled. I'm getting my wires all cabled everywhere. And I should also point out that uh, PayPal and Selmo Incorporated also wanted me to play a track by the midnight. So that just worked out beautifully. Two Beyond Synth supporters for the price of one, wanting to listen to the midnight. So, uh, and of course, if you uh, if you dig the midnight, they've been on the show several times. If you haven't uh, gone to the back catalog of Beyond Synth, I think the midnight have been on three times. And also in the YouTube uh, Real Beyond Synth, which is the talk show version of Beyond Synth, of which there are only five episodes, but uh, the midnight we're on. Friday's show, in quotes. Look, we had some new uh, patrons, and uh, I believe I gave them a shout-out a few weeks ago, but they also wrote me some letters, so I thought I would uh, read those quickly. So this was a letter from Tatsuya Miwa, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, by the way, so please feel free to correct me. And they say, Hey, Andy, I discovered your show a while back and managed to listen to about 200 episodes so far. Should have done this much sooner, but here is my Patreon support for Beyond Synth because you deserve it. I got to discover so many artists through your show, so thank you. I also love the old junk email segment, mail sack segment, as well as family members' appearances on your show. Love them all. Keep up the good work, Tetsuya. So, uh, thank you. I know I don't really do those segments as often anymore. When you have, like, an audience that's bigger than, like, one person. Um, everyone has their own points of view, and so when I used to do the junk email segment, I surveyed the Beyond Synth listeners, I think once or twice, and I would ask them, like, what their favorite parts of the show, what parts don't they like, and literally, the information was very difficult to parse through, because someone would say, man, I really don't like that junk email segment, and then literally the next comment I read is, the junk email segment is great, keep it up, and I'm like, what do I do with this information? I got one guy that hates it. I got one guy that likes it, so like, what do I do, you know? I mean, I don't like to think that I'm producing a show that someone's, like, annoyed by, but then if someone gets joy from the same thing that someone else hates, then it's hard for me to make a decision. So, you know, maybe one of these days we'll we'll bring that segment back. I think what actually happened was honestly, I switched email providers, and I just get less junk email. Like, they just filter it better. Because I used to have a Hotmail address, and the junk I got with my Hotmail address was fucking bonkers. Um, and the stuff I get now, just, it's not as funny. Anyway, they and the letter P.S. Patreon charges me VAT on top of my donation. So technically I'm donating 605. Just saying. Yeah, so that's something uh, again, I cannot control. I know VAT is that that European tax or whatever. And I think even Patreon might be starting to charge uh, another tax to, like, other countries as well. I'm not 100% sure. They've been sending me letters about it. So if it happens, uh, I, I'm i sorry. I, didn't <laughs> I have no control. No control. Anyways, um, how about we listen to another track and keep this show moving along? But uh, thank you, Tetsuya, for supporting Beyond Synth. And I hope you enjoyed listening to all 200 classic episodes. And that's something you guys should do. There's a huge backlog, and a lot of people, when they start listening to Beyond Synth, not all of them think to go back and listen to the old episodes, but there's a lot of really talented artists and uh, fun conversations and stuff, and so if you need something to listen to, there is a lot of Beyond Synth for you. Anyways, uh, let's listen to this track. This is Beckett, and it's brought to you by my new Patreon supporter in the $10 Club, K. 
Catstronaut84. That's Catstronaut, like an astronaut who's a cat. And uh, thanks for supporting the show. You are a cool cat. And this is uh, Beckett. This is from the Sewer Skaters uh, compilation. I played a bunch of tracks off this one, but there's a bunch of good ones. And this is called Turtles Investigate the Source. And that was Turtles Investigate the Source by Beckett. 
from the Sewer Skaters compilation. Now, you can find that on RetroPromenade.com, uh, RetroPromenade Bandcamp or whatever, and it is a, a whole compilation album inspired by uh, Ninja Turtles, I think the movie and the games and stuff. And of course, if you like that track by Beckett, you can always go back and listen to the Beyond Synth episode where Beckett was a guest because he is also a very talented dude. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the 2666 Club. There's Hugh Hefna, Lucas Ceballos, and in the $25 Club, the king of the $25 donors is Mr. Clint Dowling. And I say that because he donates $25.01. And that one cent puts him over the top. And uh, I got another letter here. This one's from a guy called Zen Fraser. Or do you say Fraser? Zen Frazier or Fraser? I'm going to say Fraser. And uh, of course, I recognize that name because he was uh, one of the. I think back when I first started using Twitter, I remember his little avatar. He's got a little cartoon avatar. One of the very early listeners of Beyond Synth. I feel like sometimes there's some people who I feel like I chatted with like six years ago and I haven't heard from them since. And so it's really fun when they sort of pop back up. And so Zen Frazier is one of those guys because I feel like we used to chat on Twitter and then he uh, went away. But he sent me this letter. He says, Hi, Andy. Long-time listener, and it's way overdue, but I'm finally a patron. You might not remember, but I was one of your early Twitter followers. I do remember. I once joked about live-tweeting my comments about the show while I listened to it, as I often find myself reacting in real time to things you comment on or question. This was in Season 1, way before you were even uploading them on SoundCloud, and people could just respond directly at various timestamps. I don't know why I stopped listening after Season 2, but I started up again last year and have been playing catch-up. Well, that's good. There's a lot to play catch-up for. Especially for people when they listen to the show, like, in the early years, because I only used to do 15 episodes a season, and so, like, when you get to past season three and go, oh, shit, there's, like, you know, 40 and 50, and anyway. Zen continues. He says, would it be possible to make a request? Are you familiar with the whole space synth scene, which was semi-indie popular in the mid to late 2000s before Synthwave became a thing? Musician Zircon, whom you've featured a few times on the show, made one space synth song. That is hard to say. (laughs) Space synth song, and it appeared on a compilation in 2010. It might be the best space synth song, and I did listen to a lot, yet it's the only one he ever made. Anyway, it's called Solar Revolution. Here is the link. And then he sent me a YouTube link. Would be awesome to hear it on the show. Also, just a friendly nudge slash reminder to play more chiptunes. I really enjoyed the chiptune specials you did. It never hurts to drop a chiptune track here and there, even on the regular episodes. That said, I always enjoyed the selections from you, Julian, and Marco, and I'm just way behind on checking everything out. It's an incredible time to be a fan of electronic music, isn't it? Anyway, I just wanted to take a moment and say thanks for making Beyond Synth the best synthwave chat show there is. Cheers, Zen Frazier. All right, man. Yeah, we'll play that song. Why not? This is in honor of Zen Frazier, who's been listening to the show. Well, actually, that's not even true. He said, listen to the show in the early years, then stopped listening for five years, and then <laughs> and then picked up again. And never, nevertheless, uh, Zen, you're a cool guy, and I do... Um, I remember that little Twitter avatar of yours. It's like a little, like, squiggly lion cartoon picture of a guy. Anyway, I hope you're all ready for some fucking space synth, because here it is. This is Zircon with the track Solar Revolution.
And that was Solar Revolution by Zircon. Some awesome space synths for you, as suggested to me by awesome Patreon supporter Zen Frazier. And I would also like to say that that track was brought to you by my awesome patrons in the $25 Club. There's Jimmy the Hut, Alex Seligson, a star apart. Hey, man, you've been taking some nice photos of uh, Florence. I've seen her posting those on her uh, Instagram. That is you, right? I want <laughs> I want to make sure I'm getting this correct. Everyone's got like 50 different aliases, but uh, I think it is. So those look good, man. Keep uh, taking nice pictures. Maybe one of these days you can photograph me like you do your French girls. That's does that does that reference even make sense? Titanic. Remember Titanic? He was painting her, right? Leonardo DiCaprio. And of course, uh, who else? Restless nights. Hey, restless nights. I hope you're having a good day. <laughs> Anyways, look, how about this? Let's go to my conversation with Ships in the Night. Well, here we go here. I am here right now with Ships in the Night. Now, how do you say your name? Is that your real name? Yes, it is. It's Aletheia. Yeah, and it means truth in Greek, but it's my given name. That's a nice name. Thank you. It reminds me of, um, you ever seen The Last Unicorn? Yes. Yes, I have. What the hell was her name? Amalthea was yeah, her name. Amalthea. That's right. Yeah, I was trying to remember it too. Yeah. It's like a, um, I'm not Greek, but it's a kind of a philosophical term as well. It means like the possibility of truth actually rather than the truth so kind of cool but yeah it's it's hard to say for other people so it's kind of a pain but you know yeah i mean that's always a risk i suppose when you give kids interesting names i mean it's a nice sounding name like i i have this thing where i get mad at parents when they give their kids crazy names Mm -hmm. because it's sort of like you're setting them up for a problem yeah totally but you know when people call their kids like fucking tree (laughs) blossom and stuff where you're like what are you doing like Mm -hmm. they're gonna get beat up big time yeah yeah no it's really it's it's, it can be really unfortunate sometimes yeah but that's cool it it sounds sort of elven too it's like kind of oh thank you people say that yeah Ah, shit i'm an unoriginal guy sorry (laughs) no no. So, this is the first time we're chatting. You make cool music. Thank you. When did you start uh, making tunes? Well, I've been I've been kind of doing music my whole life in some sense. I started singing at a really, you know, really young age. Not maybe that well, but just started singing and then playing piano shortly afterwards, but not with lessons, just kind of on my, um, like, mom's kind of old out-of-tune piano. And then I, I started, um, actually, guitar is my first instrument. Um, that's what I started playing when I was, like, you know, in the... 12, 13, you know, year old range and really liked that. But I had an incident when I was like 20, maybe. And I, uh, I was carving a pumpkin and my, uh, this is kind of gory. Sorry. This is going to be, this is kind of gross to announce to everyone here, but the knife I was using went through the pumpkin and and hit my left hand and kind of sliced my finger open. And so this is all getting somewhere, I promise. So I couldn't play guitar for like a year because I had this, uh, cut right at the point where you're you know you'd play like a string you know Mm. and it kept opening every time i tried to play guitar so i started i kind of switched over to keyboards and synths and stuff and that's kind of where my music began my like electronic music is because i had a shitty keyboard and a loop pedal and a microphone and i started writing that way that's how it began well if it makes you feel any better (laughs) i had a guest on 
a few months ago. Like this show sort of exists sort of in and around like the synth wave scene. So I, I talked to a lot of electronic musicians and stuff. And uh, there's an artist called Glenn Maine, and mm-hmm. he sliced his arm off when he was a kid. Like he he ran through a door that had like a glass window, and he smashed his mm-hmm. hand through it, and it like ripped his arm off. But he was really lucky because it's a crazy fucking story. Because like at that exact moment, there was some crazy surgeon who was like pioneering the surgery of uh, attaching limbs that just happened to be visiting his country, giving like a seminar. Mm-hmm. So then the dude reattached his arm and then he basically part of his um, uh, rehabilitation was to play piano to get like the Mm -hmm. dexterity back in the hand and stuff so wow so that's just a little thing see things could always be worse you can slice your finger you can get your arm ripped off you see so (laughs) that really makes my story sound pleasant actually yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah that wow that's crazy so then you teach now i do yeah so that's kind of my life Lately, which is great. It's all kind of music. You know, I I perform and uh, tour a lot, but then I also teach music lessons out of my house. And I started, you know, with kind of saying that I was a voice teacher. And then it sort of expanded. And I was like, well, I guess I could teach piano. Yeah, and I can teach guitar. Okay, I'm going to teach maybe some harp. I I play a little harp as well. And um, and now I'm just playing things that maybe I'm like way over my head in a little bit. You know, I mean, I I can I can teach them all, especially to beginners. But it's kind of funny because it's just become this thing where you know even something that maybe I'm not completely proficient in, I'm like you know teaching to kids and and some adults and some like elderly people. Pretty cool. I love that. Um, and then yeah, I, I play a lot of music and tour around a lot as well. Not not right now, but in general, you know. So like when you tour around though, like do you have like a band with you? No, it's just me um, for the most part. Sometimes I like tour with another solo person and that's really nice. But um, for the most part, it's just me alone. And uh, it's been that way for a while. It really has its like benefits and drawbacks, you know, like it can be really cool. Like I feel like some tours have gone and have been really um, revelatory or something. It's a lot of time driving the car, you know, so it's a lot of time to think, but it has its like loneliness factor. And then also there's some good things about being solo. You meet, you meet a lot of people on the road, you know, because you're by yourself that you maybe wouldn't meet otherwise. And, but it, you know, I do, I have, especially lately, it's like, I, I really do miss that factor of like being with people and that sort of solidarity, even through hard times and, you know, because it's so hard. I mean, I, I remember playing shows in New York where I'd like double park my car and have to run in and, you know, meet the promoter and then run back out and start getting my gear. You know, it's just kind of hell, honestly. So, yeah. so there are good things about having a band. <laughs> what does your audience look like? Oh, wow. That's a weird question. But I lo- No, I love this. I love this question. It's very good. I personally, I just love any kind of music that has sort of like electronic uh, influences in it. And so while the heart of this thing is synthwave and this sort of retro inspired electronic music, obviously, there's a lot of people making all sorts of different stuff but within the like the synthwave scene itself like, like the audience is predominantly kind of male and um, like 30s 40s kind of like a lot of people like dudes who are like nostalgic there is obviously ladies in the scene as well and in the audience as well too but it is like sort of predominantly male mm-hmm. you're, you're making music there's a lot of electronic influences but it's sort of a different kind of genre and I'm very curious as to like who are the people are that turn up to your shows yeah yeah well I would say I think my favorite is I'll oftentimes get these people in their 50s, 60s sort of range who, you know, my favorite is when I'm in playing a show and I look out into the crowd and there's like a guy in his like 60s and he's just got tears, you know, on his face, just like streaming down his face. I mean, I don't like, I don't like that I'm making them cry, but I do, I just do like that. <laughs> it's kind of a weird scene, you know, it's like a, that, and that's common. I, I have a lot of, in terms of like who buys my stuff online, it's a lot of people, I think, who are like kind of more in the 50s, 60s range, which is cool. And then there's always the, the youngins, you know, there's like some really young kids 
who will come up and be really excited about like merch and stuff. But yeah, it's it's definitely strange music. It attracts definitely a, I would say, somewhat of like a kind of a goth crowd. You know, that's definitely a thing. Um, people who like certain like uh, goth vocalists um, will tend to be sort of gravitate towards it. But it's cool. I would say it's really, it's really varied. It's not just some like young kind of hip crowd or something. It's like really kind of all over the place. And, you know, I would say like a sort of an influence of mine and probably pretty much everyone else's maybe would be Kate Bush. And I wrote something about her like online maybe a year ago or something. And it was just amazing how many of those people, these men in their like, you know, 58 or something years old or something were the ones commenting and being like, oh my God, I love Kate, you know, so it's cool. It's just like kind of a neat little niche of people there. Yeah. But yeah, it's all over, you know, young girls, definitely. It, it depends on the, the city, of course, you know, where it is. And in Europe, I've noticed it's more, more maybe more young people, some sort of, I don't know. It, it all varies really, even day to day. I'll make you take a census next time. Yeah, totally. I'll ask you for hard numbers. <laughs> I want to listen to some music and then we'll uh, keep talking. So, now this was a track, I think it's popped up on a few things you've released, but I feel like it. you released it in 2015. It's called Dark Places? Yeah, yeah. So that's a track, yeah, that I re- released originally then and I kind of did a revamping of it and released it again in 2017 just with like a little bit of a different feel, but slight, slightly. It's kind of, you know, they're both very similar. I don't even know if people would notice the difference, honestly. <laughs> I do, but you know. All right, man. Well, let's listen to it. This is Dark Places by Ships in the Night.
And that was Ships in the Night with the track Dark Places. And I am here with Ships in the Night right now. Aletheia. That is correct, right? It is correct, yeah. So what genre do you consider your music? So when people ask that, which is, you know, like a, a reasonable question, you get it all the time. Um, <laughs> I get it all the time. No, I'm just kidding. But when I, when I get that... I would say my sort of like typical answer is that I say it's dark atmospheric electronic because I feel like that kind of covers the bases, you know, like sort of at least, you know, it gives it, it's got a dark wave to it. It's got like a sort of ethereal ambient kind of quality as well, the atmospheric part. And then it's electronic. So it's all electronic. So yeah, that's kind of the genre I say. What would you say? I mean, that's, you know, do you think that is accurate sort of? Yeah, I'm terrible to be honest with you when it comes to like labels and things. <laughs> I guess I'm just terrible at my job doing this show because most of the time when people play songs I like, I just say, that was a cool track. Like, that's the thing I say for everything. But different music has different sort of moods and atmospheres. And I'm one of those people who just, uh, I need the energy of music. Like, it keeps me sort of creative and and different music has different uh, utilities, I guess, in terms of what mood you want to feel. Well, bless you, because, you know, that's not, I mean, I think a lot of people who are making music all the time will say that they don't always get the chance to listen to a lot of it. You know, like, I don't know, I think especially when you're writing or in the studio it's like i definitely appreciate the people who are just constantly collecting music and wanting to hear new music i mean that that's really a good thing and we need to have that in order to keep you know people to keep making it yes true and i'm very selfish so i'm always just searching out more stuff because i want more music is is very important man it is yeah especially in yeah weird times it can really yeah i mean i it changes your whole day i mean just writing and playing i i noticed that i start to feel pretty weird if i don't play a show for you know if it's like more than two weeks and i haven't played i'll be like oh there's something wrong you know well, get ready to feel a little weird i'm feeling weird i'm already feeling weird um so yeah, yeah it's it's a you know time definitely I mean I definitely am lucky in that I've I've been mostly writing right now and working on a new album and so rather than on a tour or something so I'm not canceling some massive thing right now which I feel I can really feel for other people who are in that situation right now so what do you do then where where do you get your like inspiration from like if this is the kind of music you make I always imagine there's some sort of like fantasy elements and hippie-ish kind of things and <laughs> yeah um I definitely, you know, I would say that there's a lot of surreal fantasy elements, sort of magical elements. I love, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of dreams. <laughs> I'm a fan of dreams. That sounds weird. But I, I pull from a lot of things with dreaming. I have like really, really vivid dreams. I've always been a real dreamer. You know, I almost always remember them. And so there's a lot of elements from that that I would say I kind of, in, in a kind of a not a concrete way, you know, it's not like exactly like I'll write about a dream, but I use sort of pieces of stuff like that and um, memory. I'm really interested in memory and how we remember things. A lot of like movies will inspire me. I think that's really common. Um, definitely the Twin Peaks world is very relevant and not even to the music itself it's not exactly like hearing the music and that that inspired anything but that it's just the whole feel of the world there you know and that's i think that's probably a lot of maybe a lot of electronic artists would say that but there's something about that realm and just a lot of different dream-like films you know i was really obsessed with kurosawa a lot of japanese films a lot of foreign films growing up that was movies are a big are a big influence for me and then definitely a lot of a lot of music of course you know i have always been really drawn to the hook like i really have been influenced by so much pop music and even though i make music that's not necessarily like wouldn't you know in some ways fit with that exact genre I mean I remember putting out um, Muriel Logs my last album and you know I was talking to this radio station and they were saying you know this really isn't you know this music is not exactly radio you know your, your song's four minutes and 
40 seconds and it's, you know, it's not something we normally normally play, but we'll play it. The thing about it is, is it's like, it definitely does have pop elements, but I would say pop in the way of like, you know, I love, I just love music that has the hook that'll keep you wanting to listen to it. And sometimes it's just a synth sound, you know, it's just a sound. Sometimes it's a chorus, you know, but that, so, so music like that, you know, has just been like incredibly influential for me. Yeah, for sure. I know for me, it's like sometimes the hook of a song I, I mean, I think I use the word hook incorrectly because obviously when people like songwriters talk about the hook, you know, they mean a specific thing like in the sort of the, the structure of the track. But for me, when I, when I talk about the hook, I just talk about like every song that I love has sometimes it's like a one second thing. That's the thing that mm-hmm. is the reason why I like it. Oftentimes it's a synth. Yeah. It's like they chose a weird note or like there's a weird sound that comes in. That's just that thing that makes you go like, ooh, like I connect with the track. A lot of times it's vocal, some vocal modulation as well. Like like, that's why a lot of modern music sort of frustrates me because I feel like it it's not like as melody based as I like. Mm-hmm. I like a strong melody and a nice sort of chorus and stuff. And, you know, when everybody goes off about what's her face, who's that girl? Anytime I sign into YouTube, they always want me to see her. Uh, what's her name? <laughs> She's got purple hair. If I sign to YouTube, there'll be a video with her in it. Yeah, it's funny how that happens. Sometimes they'll just push some artists down your throat. It's weird. I'm just scrolling down until she pops up. Why are they showing me... This is the weirdest. You ever just wonder, you just sign into YouTube and go like, why are all these the videos that are connected? Oh, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. No time for that. I'm trying to think of this. I'm trying to place this artist for you. I'm trying to think. Billie Eilish. Oh, Billie. Okay. Yeah. So it is someone new. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I was trying to think of like who. I'm terrible at keeping up with the, you know, the new thing with music. I just don't. Like in terms of, you know, the thing, that thing, like whatever's getting like pushed down your throat. I don't, I don't care about that very much. Yeah. No, for me, it's all pretty much like indie sort of electronic Mm kind of scene stuff. And for me, the reason why I sort of gravitated towards synthwave in general is because, well, I mean, I'm from the 80s, so I was like born in the 80s. So I like the sort of the retro kind of synth sounds, just like the, the sounds themselves. Mm-hmm. And also that the pop music back then, I know that it just seemed like there was more of a focus on sort of like kind of entertaining music with like nice fat chords and, and hooks. And, you know, there's melody to it. The reason why I bring up Billie Eilish is because like half of her songs that are so popular right now, if you actually like analyze what her voice is doing, there's no tune. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's literally just like zap 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 and it's like there's no melody in it. Totally. No hook for me, man. Like I need a melody. I'm so I mean, I'm so with you. If you listen to any of my music, it's all about it's really just melody based, you know. I mean, just melody I think really makes the song for me as well. And I have this a friend who passed away recently, um, but I love this thing that he said or he would say, which is really great, which is that a band would play a show and <laughs> he'd say yeah, I mean, they were really good, you know? They just they didn't have any songs, but they're really good, you know? And uh, <laughs> I love that, you know? I mean, they didn't have any songs, you know? And that just means, like, they played, they were tight, you know, it was a good band, but, you know, there's nothing that stuck with you, you know what I mean? There's nothing that, like, you went away with thinking, man, I want to hear that song again. What was that song? You know, I love, I love that. And I love when people come up after a show and they're like, what was that song, you know, that had this? And they'll say, like, one line, you know? But I love that they were, in well, list, like, while listening, we're thinking, I want to hear that again. You know, that that's really, like, flattering. And I guess that comes from kind of being a singer, too, and, and really caring about songwriting is that, you know, I would say that there is music that has no melody that I'll, that I can really appreciate, but it's... I don't think of it as something I'd want to... I think the worst part is when you have a song that's really meant to be catchy and then it's just not. You know what I mean? Like it's meant to have something to pull you in. And the hook for me is exactly what you're saying. It's the thing. You know, like so many songs, especially from the 80s, it's just one It's one synth line. 
you know, and it just repeats and you'll be like, oh yeah, there it is. You know, you don't even, you don't even know why you like the song. You just want to hear it again, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's cool. Yeah. Cause the trick nowadays is just to play the song on the radio 8,000 times to the point where, oh, it is catchy now because I've heard it so many times that it's like drilled in my head. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, oh, that's so fresh. I know what you mean. I really know what you mean. But look, I want to listen to another song though, man. Okay. Yeah. We got to, we're going to push forward here. We're going to go to Muriel Logs and I'm going to play the the titular Muriel Logs track <laughs> and you can tell me all about it. Sure. So uh, this is Muriel Logs by Ships in the Night.
And that was Ships in the Night with the track Logs. And I'm here right now with Ships in the Night, a.k.a. Aletheia. Yes. And uh, we're just talking about making tunes. So what the hell does Logs mean? So Logs is a Greek word that means... Okay, let me see if I can remember this correctly. It is an improvised funeral song sung by a woman upon the death of a friend. So (laughs) I think for me, when I found that word, I was kind of just in love with it. And that was an immediate title just because it fit and it, it's such a specific thing, you know, but it feels like it's fitting, you know, and not, not that all my songs are funeral songs, but there is kind of, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't want all. That's just an awesome sentence. Just (laughs) (laughs) not that all my songs are funeral songs, but yeah, I I remember some review of the album saying something like Mary Logs is like a wave of loss through a waterfall of tears or something. And I was like, wow, is it really that sad? And I mean, not that that's a bad thing, you know, but it's it's interesting. So people process that differently, but yeah, Mary Logs was, um, that song is really different. I am glad you played it because it's such a weird one. You know, it's kind of this, um, I don't know if you see it that way, but it's kind of got a different sound as I say, sonically, it's like kind of different from a lot of the other ones it's, it's i like that one you know? well, i like all that vocal sort of layering at the end that part's cool mm-hmm. thank you appreciate that that one's fun to play live i think i when my i did my release show i actually played that first live because it's the you know the song that's title but also just because it's a it's got a feeling for sure so what's the plan you said you're working on uh like a new album right now is that what's happening i am yeah it's in the works and it's really exciting it's so cool to be working on new music in a way like this where my last album was like, you know, I've never given birth, but I feel like it was as hard as, well, I don't want to say that. It wasn't as hard as giving birth. It it felt so hard for all kinds of reasons. Like I I don't, I won't even go into all of it, but just like everything about it was really difficult. And once I got it out, I was just like, oh, thank God it's out, you know, it's done. And I'm not really feeling that way about this album, which is so nice. Like I would imagine that a lot of bands and artists feel like, you know, they're like, I got to write my new album. Okay, I got to write. I need to find some inspiration. I need to get the studio and write some songs, you know, and you know, I write almost all of my original melodies I write in the car while I'm driving. That's my like process kind of, I guess I would say is like I'm driving in the car and I'll get a melody. And a lot of times it comes from some environmental noise. Like I'll hear some melodies sometimes in um, my song Elegy is actually, it's the call of a morning dove. So like the call of the morning dove would be like, do, 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 right? You know that mm-hmm. call? I don't know. That's a bird call that I would say a lot of people know, but that informed, I guess is the word, um, the melody of elegy, like the, the synth part. And I don't take it necessarily purposefully. Like I won't, I don't scope out and listen to songs necessarily to find it, but I'll sometimes hear something and it'll kind of spark some melody in my head. And then I'll be driving and I'll kind of, um, I don't know what it is about driving. I don't know if it's just the not focusing on it, sort of free association flow of just like you're kind of focusing on other things and melodies maybe just come a little bit to you or something. I've heard a couple of people say that driving is a good time for it. So then I'll get the melody and I'll take my phone and I'll record into it. I'll record just this basic melody so I don't forget it. So I don't have to rush home to my synth and, you know, I don't have to like be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't like pull over and be like, I've got it. I've got this brilliant thing. I don't, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing that, that good, but it's like this tiny piece. And then I'll go home and I'll sort of elaborate on it. And I have keyboards in my house and, and synths, but I have the thing that I, I usually write on is my, my piano, my actual piano, because I'll I'll get this like skeleton of a song. So I'll take that melody and then I'll kind of put chords behind it. And that's sort of an experimental phase. Like I'll just be like, what sounds good here? And what, you know, so it's the songwriting sort of phase. And then I'll go 
take that into like the studio and into my like lair here my lair yeah. <laughs> <in a sense. laughs> but, you know and then I'll add um, a lot to it you know and I'll start with the synth sounds and then drums will usually come towards the end of the process the melodies all you know the melodies the first the vocal melody then the synths and the drums and I don't have like templates like I would say a lot of synth artists I would say have this thing where they're like okay here's my bass sound you know that I use here's my lead maybe I have two different leads here's my pad and here's my drums you know here's my kick and snare you know what I mean they they just have that like they open a project and start that and that's there's nothing wrong with that you know but I just feel like the sounds I use are so they're just so important they affect the song so much you know, like you just said you know it's like a certain sound will just be everything about the song and so it's a long process like finding exactly what I want it to sound like for every single piece and I I used to be horrible I would layer I think for my one of my first songs I had 25 synth layers you know 20 like pads and just different horrible it was making my computer crash all the time it was awful but, um, <laughs> but uh, I heard it down a lot but I'm still you know writing a lot of I really like that kind of lush sound where there's a lot of stuff going on at once you know and I've kind of changed into from making it every time I was doing different things and it was just so I remember with Mary Logs being like, this is never going to sound good together. None of these songs are ever going to flow together. And, you know, and I think it ended up working out okay. But this album, I think I've gotten a little more into like, what do I do in songs? You know, and a, and a big one is like, I use a lot of breath drums. You know, a lot of my snares are, ah, you know, that's a thing I do a lot. I use a lot. Of, I reverse things a lot. That's a big thing. I guess finding the the things that you end up liking about your previous songs and then like how can I use those going forward but not just totally boxing yourself into like this is the sound that I have you know I guess that's sort of this balance sort of yeah you gotta you gotta watch out that those fucking morning doves don't uh, try and uh, sue you for taking their song no kidding I know I'm, I've uh, been living in fear yeah you're gonna <laughs> gonna get a cease and desist we've got chickadees around here I think that would make like a horrible song have you ever heard the sound of a chickadee it's only, do they say chick? is it like a chickadee like kind of thing like yeah, that. it literally is. Yeah, it's like chicka dee 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 dee. It's like that. Oh, right, 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 right. Hey, you never know. More of a dance beat. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, look, let's listen to another track. Uh, it's a more recent one. It's called Lost Times. Yeah. And uh, you can tell me all about that, man. This is uh, Lost Times by Ships in the Night.
and that was Ships in the Night with the track Lost Times, and I'm here right now with Ships in the Night, a.k.a. Alethea. Hi. You know, it was Twin Peaks Day uh, in February. Right. What the hell was the damn reason? But I, that, Yeah, I think that's the day that they, the first day of the first episode is like February 24th, or I probably had that wrong, but it's like something, you know, something like that. How did you feel about season three? Wow. Yeah so much to unpack with that uh i would say i loved it i just took it for what it was you know i didn't have some preconceived notion of what it would be i knew it was going to be different from the original seasons i would say episode eight yeah that was the best one because i watched that scene so many times like I, when the episode was over like i just rewound and what you know the scene where the fucking the fireman like flies up in the air and like the lights shooting out of his mouth and then they the orbs and stuff yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about that was just a dream you know what i mean that was like watching that i was so i think i held my breath that whole time it was just so amazing that visual yeah that song that song was really influential for lost times actually it's funny that you mentioned that that episode's pretty incredible there were a lot of really harrowing parts of that season as well but I love that episode, you know, that that by itself, it's like a movie. It could just be its own thing, sort of. Yeah, it really was very sort of different. I think also because the music, like the background music in Twin Peaks played such a big part of like the first few seasons, but season three used music kind of sparingly. Mm-hmm. But that episode, that whole sequence was just music like start to finish. And I, I think that's what made that scene stand out as well. Like it was very, it just felt very sort of grand, I guess. Oh man, it's making me want to watch it again. It's, really, it's been a while now. So, you know, I would say when I started Ships in the Night, I don't really know. I mean, maybe this doesn't happen, but I would imagine that some people kind of have some idea of what they want their project to be and then how it's going to look. And it's, it's sort of like a plan about what, you know, what like what's our thing going to be? You know, what are we going to be like and what are we going to wear and what's it going to be? You know, and I would say... The thing that kind of happened with Ships in the Night, which was cool, was that it felt really natural. It sort of felt like it was kind of creating itself in this weird way, you know, which I'm sure also happens too. It's, you know, but I, I think it was like, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to wear a veil for this. It was just sort of like that. That's what makes sense. I need to wear a veil. Like I, it wasn't, you know, some sort of plan in that. But I would say that the things like that are so influential and inspirational just because I feel like I'll, I, when I watched that, I just felt like that's the world that I feel like I, li- I live in with music a little bit, you know, like that, that exact place that scene with the firemen and that's sort of like that's where a lot of like inspiration comes from a dreamlike sequence that it felt very uh close to my heart or something you know so we can probably sort of wind down here but i guess i never asked why do you call yourself ships in the night yeah so ships in the night comes from a poem i don't want to misquote here but basically it's like i'm gonna say it i'm gonna i'm gonna find it and say it just because i think it's really important i mean it's not it's not really important you know what i mean um <laughs> so i don't want to i don't want to say that it's that and you know it's some important okay so basically you know the idea with ships in the night is like two ships in the night passing so the quote itself is ships that pass in the night and speak each other in passing only a signal shown and a distant voice in the darkness so on the ocean of life we pass and speak one another only a look and a voice then darkness again and a silence you know there's the idea of missing each other like two ships in the night you know that someone can be so close and yet you miss them in the darkness it just felt right it was like the name of it it was um immediately right and uh i guess it kind of represents this sense of loss in the project in general loss but also some 
hope, but also some darkness. And so, you know, kind of these sort of conflicting different emotions and this presence. And there's a lot of the, you know, the words come from that place. You know, I think I actually used distant voice in a couple songs, maybe. I just, I didn't realize that until now. But yeah, that's been inspirational, I guess, too. Just that, that phrase, that poem. When you, like you say, you sort of hum tunes when you're in the car and stuff like this. So like as far as lyrics go, do you have poetry that you sort of match to the music or is it more like you get the melody first and then you just sort of figure out the the lyrics as you go yeah so i would say it's a combination i'll occasionally find some poetry in a notebook and i'll I'll be like oh that kind of fits with it but a lot of times you know i i was thinking about how there was this period i would say between the time i was like 17 or 18 and maybe like 21 or so that i was having this crazy writer's block like i couldn't write anything and I, i realized that i just had this idea that it had to be this perfect thing and really meaningful and deep or something and that was silly because it was keeping me from writing anything. It was bad. You know, it was like, it was kind of like I had too high of expectations. And so, you know, now I, I just kind of fiddle with words, but I, I, you know, until they kind of fit, but I, I find it really important for them to be meaningful. And I, I don't ever write anything that's not relevant to me. You know what I mean? Like, and there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of artists will write songs from like someone else's point of view, or it's, I don't know, you know, it's just a different style, which is totally cool too. But I, I would say like, if something doesn't resonate with me, I'll, I'll toss it out. I don't want it. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it won't work. Because when I have to sing it live, it's not going to feel authentic, you know, and it has to, it, it needs to feel authentic for it to be good, I think, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense to me, man. I love it. Just, <laughs> you're very thoughtful and like everything I add is just sort of like, <laughs> yeah, cool, dude. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, how about this? I tell you what, maybe we'll, I'll throw in one more track, actually. You you had a, an album that where you had uh, a whole bunch of people do actual remixes of some of your tracks. Yeah. And I realized I recognized this person because I think I met her when she was playing keys for Empathy Test when he was in Toronto, because I, I record this in Toronto, although I'm not there right now. But she's an artist called Angel Metro, and she did a remix of Lost Times, yeah, which yeah. We, we just played. But I thought maybe I would, uh, I would throw that on and then maybe we can uh we can have like an official goodbye before you have to go and uh teach some piano or singing yeah some singing yeah all right so here it is this is lost times the game over mix by angel metro i mean by ships in the night's remix but fuck me (laughs) i think my brain just shut up
right, and that was Ships in the Night with the track Lost Times, and that was the Game Over Mix by Angel Metro, and that was cool. How did you go about finding, I know we're supposed to be saying goodbye here, but how did you uh, find the artists who were going to be remixing the tracks on this album? I just put out a call, you know, I just, um, I think on like social media, I said like, um, let me know if you'd be interested in doing a remix, and there was this really awesome response. It was like over 40 people. You know, we're like, I'd like to do it. And then it kind of narrowed it down just by people being able to do it. You know, a lot of people wanted to, but then they didn't have time. And then finally, I, I got a bunch in, you know, and that was really cool. So every song is remixed on there. And some have a few and some don't. But I, I was really happy to get that out. It's really cool. A lot of people have sent me remixes throughout the years. And I, I wanted to represent them because they were, you know, really good work. And it was flattering to have those done, you know. So, yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, Angel Metro seems like a cool chick. Uh, Empathy Test was uh, playing a show in Toronto and I think he had a keyboardist that dropped out and so she joined him for some of the dates and uh, I felt bad because we filmed this little interview video and like the stairwell like on my phone and the quality was so shitty that I never ended up using it so uh a <laughs> useless story for you. <laughs> no worries. None at all. What can people uh, look forward to in the future here from uh, Ships in the Night? Yeah, um, well, I there's a lot actually coming up this year. So I'm working on this album that'll be out likely October. That's the plan as of now. And um, there'll be a couple singles leading up to that and a couple videos that I'm really excited to shoot. So yeah, there'll be a lot coming up, hopefully with everything that's going on. I mean, it's a crazy world right now. So wh- where can people go? What's the website? Where do you want me to send them? So I guess it would be my Bandcamp. So that's, um, you know, www.shipsinthenight.bandcamp.com. Um, that has all my merch and my albums. Um, and there's also my Facebook, um, Instagram. You know, those those keep people updated with tour dates better, maybe. So Spotify, you know, all of this. But the Bandcamp's the main one. Cool. All right. Well, look, you have a lovely day. I don't even know. Where do you, like, where are you located? I'm in Virginia. Virginia. All right. Well, then you... Have a lovely Virginia day. Thank you so much. Do you have any goodbye words you want to say to the people? I guess just thank you for listening, and um, I hope to see you maybe at a show sometime. Awesome. Well, look, it was, it was nice talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you as well. Thank you so much for listening. All right, and that was my chat with Ships in the Night. And that was cool. She makes cool music, man. And that was uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Honeybeard, Tim Carlton, Johnny Five, and Kempson. And unfortunately, yesterday I missed, there was a live stream and uh, there was a bunch of performers and Honeybeard was performing and he was repping Beyond Synth with his Beyond Synth shirt and I missed it. So hopefully uh, there's a replay somewhere I can check out. Because they also played uh, the weekend before. So remember last week I had uh, Damocles as the co-host and and he did his live set. A whole bunch of artists did some live sets. And Honeybeard did theirs. And it was uh, it was a good time. And I gotta say, Damocles' was a lot of fun. He had uh, audience applause noises. <laughs> which was, you know, in a weird way, it actually worked. Which made me laugh. Because on the surface, you'd think it's a cheesy idea. But I think because right now, since we can't really go outside or do anything, um, there is something comforting about seeing someone perform and then hearing the audience noises, even if it is just dubbed in. Anyway, uh, let's listen to some more music. We'll be talking to Baldocaster in just a bit, but I have a few more songs to play first, and we're going to listen to this one right now. This is uh, Driver86 and Bunny X. Now, I feel like...
like I may have played a remix of this before, like the Diamond Field rework or something, but I guess this is just the original one. It popped up in my playlist, and I was like, this song's, uh, this song's a lot of fun. So we're going to listen to it, uh, and it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Martin Larby, Gregorio Franco, Blake Peterson, and Ken Giroux. You guys are amazing. So now let's listen to this. This is Driver86 and Bunny X with If You Say Goodbye.
that was Driver 86 and Bunny X with If You Say Goodbye. And that was brought to you by my awesome PayPals. Some people donate to the show on patreon.com slash beyondsynth. Other people's, if you go to beyondsynth.com, you can click on the PayPal donate button. And that's what these awesome people do. And they support the show that way. People like the Rosconian, Russell Nyes, Brandon Morin. Got a nice little donation here from Outland. That's right, because I've been posting video interviews from Outland last year. I still have more to do. I know they're like (laughs) a year late, but uh, they're still coming. So you can go check those out. They're a good time. And uh, yeah, I I should, right after I edit this show, I'm probably going to go and uh, continue working on some of those. But thanks, Outland, for uh, supporting the show. And then there's Jersey and Deepak Ganger and the king of the PayPal's Upgrade Jimpy. Then there's Ross Bruce, Timothy Warwick, Anselmo Incorporated, Digital Dreams, and Jimmy Groon. Thank you very much for supporting Beyond Synth. You guys are awesome. They are the PayPal's. So what else has happened? A bunch of games came out. I really wish I could game stream, but my internet is so bad. Because I got uh, Streets of Rage 4, which is good. I'm still playing Animal Crossing. I'm still working on Doom 64. I'm very tempted to buy Ion Fury, because I've been playing Doom 64, and it's sort of reminding me of that old-school first-person shooter fun, and Ion Fury looks exactly like a slightly newer Doom, and so I really do want to check that out. And that fucking Ghost of Tsushima game looks awesome. They did a preview. Did you guys watch the preview of that <laughs> this is just me listing things that happened um but yeah maybe we should talk about that too and the mario maker update which was cool so mario maker 2 had like a final update where you can like build an overworld i think i brought this up on the show but uh that's a really cool thing too again i'm probably talking about this stuff more than i actually play these games because <laughs> I'm just always distracted. But uh, look, let's listen to another song and then we will uh, keep talking. This was another one from the Two Australia with Love compilation. Remember when the Australian wildfires was like the big story of the year? Fucking 20. Fucking 20. This year sucks. <laughs> anyway, fuck. Fuck 2020. But seriously, this is a good song. Uh, sorry, it's not really a good segue. It's by Jasper De... No, I'm going to fuck this up. Ja- Jasper DeQuester? Or is it Jasper DeQuester? You know, people often will tease me for pronouncing things wrong, but, like, I actually try and get it right. I think that's why. And I let it all out on display for you guys when I try and figure out how to pronounce people's names. Whereas, like, I'll listen to other Synthwave shows, and they just blatantly just say people's names wrong and move on. And yet I'm the one who gets made fun of because I actually, like, acknowledge that I don't know how to pronounce the things I'm saying. <laughs> like... Because <laughs> I'll listen to other people's, they'll just like, all right, here's a new song from Jisper DeQuaster, and then they'll just play it. And I'm like, shit, I, I, I just, you know, it's important to me to say these things correctly. And for some reason, I never email people in advance to ask them how to pronounce their names. I mean, I've done it a few times. But anyways, look, here's a track. It's by Jasper DeQuaster, I'm going to say, C-E-U-S-T-E-R. It's either Quester or Custer? What if it turns out it's not even a hard C and it's like Suster? Anyway, that's a cool song. It's called Spectrum, and it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Ashley Keegan with the 2049. She was on the show last week. If you want to find out a bit more about her website, Forged in Neon, Synthwave Reviews and Interviews. And uh, with the 20, it's Andy's Laugh. All right, well, here is uh, Jasper DeQuester with Spectrum. Thank you. 
All right, and that was Spectrum by Jasper DeQuester. Or Jasper DeCuster. Or Jasper DeSuster. Um, but yeah, let me know how to pronounce it, dude. And I will... Well, unless he's a lady. Jasper isn't a girl's name, is it? Jasper? Jasper. Is Jasper a unisex name? Jasmine. Jasper. Anyway, look, that was a good song, all right? And it was, uh... <laughs> it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Rachel Buchelman with a 1985, Murat with a 1984, and in the $15 club, Prophet of Jupiter, Six Mil, Gus Velichek, Hampus ML, and Chatterack. We'll probably listen to one more song, and then we'll go to my conversation with Baldocaster. But I just wanted to uh, point out that, yeah, uh, Mario Maker 2 had an update on the Switch, and now you can take your custom-made worlds and then put it in an overworld map, which is actually pretty cool. I don't know why they didn't do that earlier. I feel like that's just the thing now with games. It's like you make a game knowing full well that it's not quite finished, but at least in the uh, in the Mario Maker front, at least, and other games as well, sometimes companies don't necessarily charge you for those updates, so every few months you just get this surprise like, oh hey, we added this new feature, and you know, it's it's one of the things I miss about retro games. Like, I, I acknowledge that a lot of modern games are very sophisticated and require amendments because they're just very complex games, but isn't there something nice about retro games where you just, the whole game is just on that cartridge and that's it, there's no update, there's no patch everything is there they released the game finished and that's the experience you know like it's just weird to me that if i went to the store and i bought mario maker 2 like the cartridge the whole game isn't on that cartridge right like you need the internet to install the update and that's the thing that always bothers me because i i like the idea of having video game consoles or anything um offline if you want to have stuff offline because i find honestly that the internet is a huge distraction maybe this is less for video games and more for work but whenever you have access to the internet i think it just slows down your productivity it definitely slows down mine i'm speaking on behalf of myself right now but when i try and work and the computer I'm working on is connected to the internet, I inevitably just start looking at Facebook or chatting with friends or just browsing websites and stuff. And it's really frustrating. I feel like if I had an office with an editing computer that was not connected to the internet, it would be much better for productivity. But then, you know, just like video games now, half the software I use requires an internet connection because it'll be like, oh, Adobe didn't register that you're a member of Adobe. I'm like, oh, I am. Like, I fucking paid the money, but it's like, you gotta have the internet on to remind your computer that you paid. I don't know. Anyway, look, let's uh, let's listen to one more track and then we will go chat with Baldocaster. So on the first of every month, I think they're doing it for the next few months, Bandcamp waives their fees so that the artists get 100%. So at the start of this month, May 1st, I just picked up a whole bunch of albums uh, and singles and stuff and I'm going to do the same thing on June 1st. So I've been collecting links that people have sent me or suggested to me and I'll be, I'll be doing that. So that's a reminder to everybody to to go to Bandcamp the first of the month, June 1st, and I think July 1st as well, Bandcamp waives its fees on those days, which means the artist gets 100%. Um, and I picked up this album. It was actually a compilation from Synthwave Cafe. It's called Nightmare. I don't know why I'm playing this. This is a Halloween <laughs> track, but I really liked it. It's by AM1984, and uh, it is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Pattern Shift, Mads Baron Christensen, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Lyalane and this is AM 1984 with From Dusk Till Dawn
Wade, and that was AM 1984 with the track... Now, here's a confusing thing. I said From Dusk Till Dawn, although it's written officially as From Dusk Till Down, and I'm going to assume that's just a translation error... (laughs) (laughs) But who knows? Maybe it is from Dusk Till Down. But anyway, that's a cool song. It's from the compilation album Nightmare from Synthwave Cafe. You can pick that up at synthwavecafe.bandcamp.com. And uh, look, that was brought to you by all you awesome people who listen to this show and support this show. And uh, if you need other stuff to listen to, go check out um, Dennis LaFunk on SoundCloud. All right? He does mixes that you should uh, listen to. Dennis is a cool guy. He's been a guest DJ on the show before and you should go uh, check it out Dennis LaFunk don't forget anyways uh, look why don't we go chat with Baldo Caster all right well I'm here right now with Baldo Caster how's it going man what's up thanks for having me yeah man so what's your uh, your actual name uh, David Tell me a bit about yourself. This is the first time uh, that we've ever talked. I know I've played some Baldo Caster uh, tracks on the show in the past, and you do make really cool music. It was actually Thank tricky you. for me to sort of pick tracks to play because uh, they're all good, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, you got a you got a cool vibe. I dig it. Yeah, I try to just just do my own thing, whatever that is. It's probably coming from a lot of the same artists that a lot of other people do, like the Daft Punks and the Justices and the John Carpenter and Jean Michel Jarre and all that Tangerine Dream, but. I guess everybody hears something their own way and they kind of gravitate towards certain parts of each of those artists so it's probably just a mix of all that and I was in some prog rock bands so that's a lot of that's probably in there. So where are you uh, like where do you live? I'm in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina on the East Coast. North Carolina. Have I had a guest from North Carolina before? Probably not. It is a barren music desert, at least in terms of electronic music. Yeah, I don't think I've had North Carolina. Tell me about North Carolina. (laughs) Uh, It's humid, and we've got a lot of coronavirus. Yeah, that's about it. Those are two really great things. (laughs) 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 When you're not making music, what are you uh, doing? For work, I I mix TV shows, like a lot of reality TV shows, and I'll do ADR for films, like additional dialogue recording and documentaries and stuff like that, which is fun. It's kind of like nice variety of stuff. So do you work in a studio? Yeah, 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 like a big post and production studio where we'll shoot shows and do the picture and the audio and all that kind of stuff. Have you mixed any uh, reality shows? I guess I haven't really watched too much reality shows, but... uh... Yeah, a lot of stuff on like TLC, Families with a Million Kids, or the We Do One Sister Wives where it's a polygamous family where it's a guy and four wives and spoiler it doesn't work yeah Uh, and then like there's a one about a family of little people it's a lot of like stuff like that oh tlc well every once in a while we get some like more serious interesting documentary stuff my father-in-law is always watching reality tv but he watches like history network and a and e so they play a lot of like those ice road truckers and ice road fishers and sword making competitions (laughs) and stuff i would much rather work work on that stuff yeah i watched one it was like butchers it's like a reality show about being the best butcher (laughs) cutting meat yeah man like because they got to prepare the animals really fast and do it properly and then they're like you got to cut the foie gras and then the guy did it wrong because he hadn't done it before and they're just just like oh he's inexperienced or whatever and and then is he the next thing they butcher yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that's how the show ends it's like (laughs) (laughs) the loser gets cooked 
do you work in a specific part of the building? So like you're in the zone where like the microphones are to record ADR and stuff, or do you go places? I kind of do all the stuff. Like I have a studio, like a mixing room, and then adjacent to my room, there's just a little like VO booth. Like we, we won't record bands or anything like that, but just like for voice and then with a little screen and stuff like that. Do they ever have people come in from reality shows to do ADR? No, they literally never do it on reality shows. I, the budgets, are, I think, are so small, they just don't care. They'll just have people record shit on their phones and send it in, and then I've got to match it. It's, <laughs> that's rough. The ADRs for, like, the real, like, scripted, like, Vampire Diaries and the X-Men movie, and that, I think I did one on that I, Tanya movie. Stuff like that. Yeah, like, when it comes to reality TV, there's definitely, like, a formula to it. Oh, yeah, you start to see it when you watch all of them. My favorite aspect of a lot of the, sort of, the garbage reality TV is how how little show there is in half an hour. Like, you know they have a lot of things where they, <laughs> yeah. they ramp up for commercial, then when they come back for commercial, they sort of show you a slightly re-edited, like, three minutes of the previous thing, yeah, and then yeah. two minutes of show, and then it's commercial again. Yeah, it's fun, like, getting to see that on our end, where I can see all the cuts and what the editor did, and where it's like, sometimes they really have to work to make something interesting. Sure. <laughs> it's just nothing happening. My favorite, too, is they just take reaction shots from, like, a different time. Oh, 100%. No one's actually stressed out, and then they just <laughs> cut to that old lady when she was, like, freaking out from, like, that we filmed, like, two weeks ago, and just, like, cuts to her, like, <laughs> looking shocked. Our favorite that we still talk about was there were, they used to, in one of the shows, they used to put all these, like, accent, these, like, big-ass taiko drum hits when something dramatic was happening. It would be like, and there was one thing where they had, like, a quilt made with the names of the people in their family on it, and they had, like, a ceremony unveiling the quilt. And then it was windy, and, like, the easel that the quilt was on blew over, and it was just like, like, it was the most dramatic thing of all time. I have that saved on my desktop, and I just watch it sometimes. Oh, that sounds awesome. Was that like fucking Quilt Wars? What was the show? <laughs> that was that was Sister Wives, the oh, okay. polygamous one. Wasn't the Quilt Wars then? <laughs> well, that's, I'm, I'm going to pitch that tomorrow. Yeah. Though. <laughs> well, look, how about this? Let's get this fucking thing started and listen to some music. Now, you make cool tunes. I picked a bunch to listen to, and so I thought we would go to the, the album Moonrise. And this was a cool track I dug. This is Sputnik by Baldo Caste. <laughs>
right, and that was Sputnik by Baldo Caster. And I'm here right now with Baldo Caster. David, talking about mixing and ADR and working in a studio. So, what does Baldo Caster mean? Does that mean something? It was made in a fit of panic because it was my Instagram name because I'm bald and... <laughs> At the time before I got into synth music, I played guitar and I had a Telecaster, so it was Baldocaster. And then way back in the day when you could actually submit songs to New Retrowave, they said, yeah, we, we'll give you feedback no matter what. Even if we turn down a song, we'll give you feedback. And I was like, I made like my second song or something and I sent it in. And I was like, I just want some feedback. And then they were like, no, we want to put this on not the main channel, but like a smaller sub channel. And so I shit my pants and I was like, uh, my name's Baldocaster. Yeah. And so it just kind of stuck. Dude, that is the best story you could have had no honestly any other time i ask people for their name and it's always just it was a video game character i liked or something like the idea that it's a what's the word portmanteau what what do you call it when you take two words and make a compound word no you're beyond my english abilities with this there's a word that describes what happens when you take two other words and sandwich them together to make a new word but this isn't a compound word because i feel like compound words is when it's two small words anyway look this is dumb you said you're in some (laughs) it's (laughs) magic yeah magic that's what this is you played in some bands before yeah yeah in college uh and afterwards i was in some rush style prog rock bands and i can tell you there is no audience for that <laughs> were you baldo caster then or when did you become the baldo caster i became a baldo caster when i sent that song in uh to new retrowave and it and I, I panicked and had to give them a name to put on it but i mean in life right because if if you are indeed oh. the baldo caster i mean when did the project start well how long did you have hair for uh, <laughs> that uh started fading probably in high school <laughs> But I always told myself there's a certain point where you got to commit. Like, I don't want to be like one of these guys looking like a monk with a comb over or something. Uh, so I was just, I'd, at the end of college, it was time. So you didn't become the monko caster? No, I was probably close. I was probably to close to being, yeah, Monka Caster. Which doesn't, it's harder to say. It doesn't flow off the tongue as well. Do you still play in, like, bands with people? Or is that a thing of the past? That's a thing of the past. I don't even play guitar anymore. And I, like, guitar was, like, my life. Like, I I still do it for work because I'll have to, like, make songs for commercials and stuff. But I kind of got just so jaded and really over guitar based music particularly rock because that was kind of what i did i was like just everything's been done it's all been done and now everything's just coming back and it's just like throwback rock bands that aren't doing anything i just got really over it um and just bored when i was playing guitar and so i I started just getting (laughs) really disillusioned and then i'd always been into all the electronic acts that i like but i never really thought because i'm just trash at keyboards and i didn't know anything about how to operate synth so i never bothered like i was into wave shaper for a year or so and i was like yeah i I can't do that um and then a certain point i was like i went into my roommate at the time my friend's room and he had he makes like weird like nils from modern classical stuff but he had a juno an old synth and i played it and i was like oh i need this i want i want to do this and so i found one on craigslist in new york and drove seven hours and bought it and drove back jesus and just kind of (laughs) figured it out I was like, just haven't been doing anything musical, and I was like super down, so I just started doing it. Well, that's nice. So then, with your setup now, I mean, is there a lot of analog synth involved in it for the stuff you're actually making now? Yeah, it's probably... I have a, I have a bunch just because, I mean, you don't need them, but it's more of like a whatever inspires you kind of thing. And I, it excites me to like start ideas on them with the hands-on stuff. Probably what ends up on the albums, it's probably like 60% hardware. 
I've talked to Waveshaper a lot about it, where it's like you can't just like stuff so good the digital stuff that, or the plugins you can't like not use it, and they just fit so well together, and it just makes a lot of stuff easier. I think yeah, th- there's just that thing, like you said, it's inspiration. It's like you know when you just kind of fool around on a keyboard yeah. and like twist knobs, it like gets the magic started, the Baldo magic, the Baldo magic. Yeah. Wait, would you say you make stuff for commercials? How does that work? Is this all through the same place? Like, do they just go to you for like anything if it's somewhat related to? Uh, audio production stuff yeah i mean there's me and two other audio people um most of the time we spend mixing like me and one other person will work on mixing the tv shows and stuff like that and another guy does more like films and documentaries and doing sound effects but we all kind of do everything you know one day i might come in and do a voiceover for a phone pre-recorded system in the morning and then work on a show and then do something like it's bouncing around a lot of stuff but i will do less nowadays because there's so many music libraries out there where people just want to pay less and get stock tracks but when they want custom music i'll do kind of whatever like corporate stuff or piano-y weird stuff or acoustic guitar it just depends you do it through the place yeah. like of your work yeah. like so it's not like under your name or anything it's no, just- it'll be like you know like sherwin williams paint comes in and says they want happy corporate acoustic song you know and they don't want to pick a pre-done one so they'll give it to me. I'm the only one that makes music out of all the other people. So they'll give it to me and I'll make a couple like demo options and send them and, you know, and then they'll give notes and figure out what they want. Well, I'll tell you what I want, man. I want to <laughs> listen to more fucking Baldo caster. All right. Yeah. So we're going to listen to this song called Eclipse because it's a cool track and it's uh, by Baldo caster. <laughs>
And that was Baldo Caster with the track Eclipse. And I'm here right now with Baldo Caster, a.k.a. David, talking about sound. So what's your official title? There's a lot of slashes in it. It's The main one is audio engineer, but like audio engineer, composer, sound designer, a lot of hats. Yeah, from <laughs> Baldo <head. laughs> A lot of hats. <laughs> so what's some of the stuff that uh, inspires the uh, the tunes then? I mean, I, I like your sound because it's got they got energy, like the beats and the melodies are cool and stuff like that. But you also have some nice cinematic tracks as well. But the production's solid on them. Like, it, it's all it's all very uh, good. Thank you. <laughs> That's a choice word. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> good. Good job, David. <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, I, yeah, I try to have dynamics, like... I guess there's, in electronic music, there's sort of two schools of the songwriting where there's the more Daft Punk one where you have one idea and you bring in different parts and you develop it and drop stuff out and it goes for four or five minutes. And then there's the one, which is kind of what I do, which is more like normal songs where you have different sections and all the parts change and you go to totally different things. I wish I could do the first one because I love Daft Punk, but I just, I'm just incapable of it. In my mind, I have... I just get so bored when I'm writing if it does the same thing like more than twice I'm like alright develop let's do something you know I never want to go back to the same thing again the same way like I don't think when people are listening they care but for me I'm just like it's boring no trash yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's probably why a lot of my songs are so short but then uh, you know for like different cinematic things like you said I'll pull it that's where I'll pull in like the more soundtracky tangerine dreamy kind of Carpenter stuff. What were the uh, names of some of your prog rock bands? Oh, God. The first one I was in was called Titan. It's not bad. I think there are like a million bands yeah. called Titan on <laughs> Spotify, so good luck finding it. We had a song, Titan, from the album Titan by Titan. Nice. And one time we were, we were at the studio and we were talking and there was this girl and she was like, what's your band's name? And we were like, Titan. She was like, like a rope? <laughs> or like, a, like a knot? And we were like, yeah, sure. That's awesome. I would have never thought that, man. That's pretty wicked. <laughs> Fucking Titan. <laughs> like a rope. <laughs> like a noose. Oh, stupid. So what do you uh, like doing when you're not making music? Probably like most guys my age, like the video games and good shows. I love dark dramas like Westworld and stuff. I haven't watched too much lately, man. I feel like now is probably the time. Yeah, now's the time to stock up. I've been working my way through Clone Wars. How's that going? I've never watched it. It's hit or miss, but when it's good, it's really enjoyable. Like, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. I kind of just wanted to watch it and see the Darth Maul stuff because he's cool. But it's pretty good. I think I am going to work through that. There's so many shows that, like I start and I haven't finished yet. Like you just mentioned Westworld. Like I still haven't finished season two. I think I was like four episodes into season two. Yeah. Season two was bad. Don't bother. Don't bother. Well, I mean, I still got to watch it. I know people say stuff like that, but it's like, I gotta know, man. See it for yourself. Yeah. Like, I thought it was okay. So it was cool at the end of season one where there was that reveal that the timeline was all fucked up and that Buddy was the young version of oh, yeah, uh, what's with the, the man in black and all that. Yeah. So I like that. But then in the second season, when they started doing time jumps again, I'm like, oh, are they making it like this is the time jump show? Like, I, I like that it was just a cool 
plot device for season one, you know? Yeah. But it was more confusing because it was like time jumps of like a month. It's frustrating because like the same thing happened with 24. Like I used to really like 24 years ago. Yeah, sort of got like a formula. Yeah, and the problem was like the first season was such a cool standalone thing. Like season one is still like my favorite of all of them. But, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes a show will find out or they think they know what the audience likes or they see the popular aspects and then they just sort of go in a slightly different direction. Yeah. And that's what frustrated me about 24 and it sucks because like season one of 24 was like a, a thriller. Like that was the genre, but mm-hmm. it was cool that, that Kiefer Sutherland was like an action hero, but he wasn't always an action hero. It's just that there was always this tension in the show, even when he was driving a car, or, you know, cause time was running out, but then they got it in their head that people liked that he was like an action hero. So then the show just started to get more and more ridiculous. Like with the action scenes, didn't they get rid of the clock thing too? Well, no, they kept the clock, but they got rid of caring about whether it made sense. So, (laughs) like the first season, it always said the following events happen in real time and there's episodes where he's just in his car for the whole episode because he's going from one place to another. Yeah. And then season two started to stretch it a bit where they would be like getting into planes so they could go to like Mexico and then like the plane ride episode was like an hour and like, okay. And then by the time it got to like season six and seven, they would just do time jumps that didn't even make sense. Like they'd be running towards a helicopter and then after the commercial break, which was apparently two minutes, they're like landing the helicopter at the place that they were going to. Yeah, that's like that's a 90 second plane ride. And it really bugged me because I thought the premise of a 24 hour day is really cool. Yeah. And then as soon as they just decided that they, they weren't going to follow that anymore, then I'm like, well then the show doesn't make sense. There was one episode where like Jack Bauer literally wasn't even near CTU. He was like, he was like holding a guy, like a dead body of a guy in like a parking lot and then the next episode he's opening the door to CTU and walking in and it was supposed to be a second later like it was just like even if the parking lot was <laughs> yeah, CTU there's, no, there's meant to be no seams between the episodes I was like really really young when that show aired and the only one thing I remember was it might have been second or third season where there was a one where they literally there was like there's a nuke in LA and I was like they're not gonna set off a nuke it's LA and then they did and I was like oh you can do that (laughs) well the problem was that again it's like the same problem I have with a lot of shows where they have to keep raising the stakes and that's why 24 became so ridiculous because the first season of 24 was just an assassination attempt and that was the whole plot was just trying to stop an assassination attempt and it was like you know there was gunfights and stuff but that was it and then season two they had to raise the stakes and say like well it's a nuclear bomb but then that was the big event of the whole season was this bomb going off and then by the time they get to like season six and seven what do you do after that yeah well then they just started blowing up bombs in like episode four you know like (laughs) i don't even think i watched the last (laughs) season i watched one scene and jack bauer was like covered in armor walking down the street with like a rocket launcher or something and I was just like what the fuck is this like it's not the same show (laughs) like it just it was a completely different thing you know it's the same with like you know Pirates of the Caribbean right like the first one's fun but then they find out the audience likes Captain Jack so much so then they make him the focus of the other movies and then and then it becomes less special as a one off if you just watch the first Pirates of the Caribbean it's like a fun you know blockbuster movie and you know Jack Sparrow's a quirky fun character but 
the second it's like you make the whole thing about him and then it all falls apart. Yeah, yeah. It just turns into like a whole like an hour of fan service. Yes, and they're also fucking silly films. But I'll tell you what is not silly is <laughs> the awesome music of Baldo Caster. I want to listen to this one. These ones are kind of more cinematic tracks. It was from the album, uh, you say that Solaire? As you say that, right? Yeah, that's right. I guess. I don't know. Well, that's how we're going to say it. I want to listen to uh, Map to the Stars. For the fuck of it, why don't we just play part one and part two back to back? How about that? Ooh.
And that was Map to the Stars, part one and part two, by Baldo Caster. And I'm here right now with Baldo Caster, David, hey. talking about shows. That's right. Uh, so what... <laughs> <laughs> So what uh, what games are you playing right now? What's uh, grabbing the the attention of the Baldo caster? The Baldo tension. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounds like something else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right now I'm getting my ass kicked in a uh, Neo Two, which is like very Dark Soulsy samurai game, and it's just brutal. I'm not good. <laughs> this is all I'm not good. <laughs> I've never played one of those games. Uh, the Dark Souls or any of that stuff? I might have played um, a few minutes of, not Dark Souls. Didn't they make another one that was like slightly easier? Blood, Bloodborne? Or? Bloodborne, that's it. Yeah, I think my thing is I'm not great about games that are too hard. Yeah. I've reached a point in my life where I don't like putting myself through it anymore. Even though right now I'm playing Hollow Knight and there's been a lot of bosses that have been a fucking pain in the ass. Oh, that game's hard as shit. Yeah, that game's very hard. There's something weird about Hollow Knight that like keeps me coming back even though I'm going to say a good four times now I've died with like a wallet of like 2,000 money or whatever Mm. and then I go fucking find my ghost to get my money back and I die on the way and I lose all my money. That's brutal. That one was really good, though. I was going to say that I remember you get swindled at one point. There's a little lady who's like, yeah, I'm a bank. She's like, give me all your money. And you give it to her. And then she takes it. Yeah. I gave her everything you could give her. <laughs> 4,500 fucking geo. Ooh. And I go back and the fucking shop facade just like falls down. I'm like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> fucking 4,500 geo. Yeah. It's so weird. There's just something neat about the atmosphere of that game. I know people have been telling me to play it for years and like I finally got into it. Yeah. And now that I'm into it, it is a really good game. And there's times where I'm like, why am I still playing this? Like I would normally be really annoyed and stop but for some reason i keep playing so there's obviously something compelling about it yeah the atmosphere i think you're right something about the whole the bug vibe <laughs> yeah that's it whenever when something's like technically hard like i'm terrible i'm like you like i'm too old i can't do it <laughs> I'm, I'm just terribly bad i can do the ones that are like hollow knight and like dark souls where it's hard or it's punishing but when you get into it it's not really hard it's more that you just have to learn it and be patient and be careful then you're all right like i i enjoy that there's something about games that i have a hard time with yeah when it's built around patience like where when you die you have to get back to a certain place you just want to rush to get there mm-hmm. but you have to make sure every jump is properly timed and you you can't just swing your sword at this guy because you have to block and then swing and block and swing and you just want to get back to the fucking place you were. Yeah. And I have a hard time doing that without just trying to rush through it again and then I just lose all my health and fuck everything up. And then you quit. Yeah. But for some reason, I'm not this time, so who knows, man. Are you an Xbox or a PlayStation? I have the PlayStation, just because that's what my, all my friends got, and I was like, okay. But I guess I heard they're delaying all of the new ones because uh, of the situation, but uh, they're pushing them back to next year. I mean, the system's already pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, like how we're always got to move on to the next thing and the next evolution. I don't know, maybe it's like there's an old man aspect of me where I just wish like, wouldn't it be cool if like the next system, they just said like, this is the last system you'll ever need. Yeah. And we're just going to keep making games. for Like the system was powerful enough that you never really have to upgrade and you can just, eventually everyone would have one. I guess that's the idea with the cloud stuff where they're like, you just buy a thing the computer's on our side, but it doesn't. we don't have good enough internet for that. 
clearly. No, I hate the idea of not owning the games, too. That's the part that I just don't like. Oh, yeah. It's like people who buy movies on Amazon. You're insane. What are you doing? <laughs> you don't own that. They'll take it away. I remember, shit, it was like when I first started doing this show. It was around that time where there was that weird Sony glitch. It was oh, on the yeah. PlayStation 3, and like the clock hit a weird time, and then all of a sudden, you couldn't play games that you had on your hard drive. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was this thing. It was a weird glitch. I mean, they fixed it quick. It had to do with the internal clock because I guess the PlayStation had... Okay, well, I'm going to butcher the reason. You know, there's like a clock inside the system <laughs> that's it, like... Was it Y2K? You know what? It was actually kind of a Y2K-E type thing. Yeah. It was the internal clock fucking reset or didn't match with the other clock or something. Like, there's multiple clocks. It's a fucking clock house in this. And then it fucking... <laughs> what is that Jack Black movie? The yeah. house with clocks in oh, the yeah, walls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was it. So, that was the worst title ever. Yeah, we were living it, man. And it fucked up. Yeah, that is a horrible title. You know, sometimes when they release movies with just bullshit titles, and you just think, like, I'm not gonna go to the cinema and say that. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna two tickets for a fucking house with a clock and a fucking I'm an asshole. Like, you're not gonna do it. Yeah, and it's not my problem. And I should laugh, but for some reason, when I saw that trailer, I remember being angry. I was like, why would they do that? They're putting so much money into this. Why would they do that? (laughs) It's not my problem. like it's a social issue or something. I, sh- I don't have the right to be angry, but I am. Well, hey, man, you gotta do something. Anyway, this fucking, this stupid clock thing happened, and then what happened was, you couldn't load games even if you had purchased a game on in the store, uh, they wouldn't boot up. So you just had a, like, a little toaster oven, basically. Yeah, and it was the old PlayStation as well, like the PlayStation 3. I had, like, the, the original model. It died. <laughs> said it like it was a person. It died. It was a sad day. But I mean, I've, I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, enjoyment out of my PS4, although now the fan is insanely loud. So I'm hoping the PlayStation 5 is quieter because the fan on the PS4 now is nuts. I don't know how yours is. Mine's like hidden away behind my TV so I don't hear it. Nice. Real bitch when I got to put a disc in though. Yep. <laughs> I pick up the TV and I need a second person to help me. <laughs> nice. Not, so I just don't buy discs. They, ensures then that if you do buy a game on disc you just gotta you gotta beat it yeah it's like i can't stop and do anything else um but i tell you what we should do is we should listen to more music so we're gonna move on to mirage that's right we're gonna listen to this song called canyons by baldo caste
And that was Baldo Kester with the track Canyons. And I am here right now with the Baldo Kester, David, Woo. talking about picking up TVs and putting discs in. <laughs> <laughs> That's a metaphor. I don't even know what that'd be a metaphor for. Some sort of sex, I imagine, but I don't know what what is anything in this metaphor. <laughs> What's the TV? What's the disc? It's a disc. What's lifting? Who am I? Like, how much time do you have to actually make music then? It varies, but, you know, I tend to, like, work on one song at a time, so I'll, like, whenever I'm working on that one, like, I'll start an idea, and then once I've deemed it a viable idea that it's going to be something I finish and put out on something, it consumes me. So I'll be probably working on that the next few days, like, in all the time I have, until it's done, which is usually a week or two. And then I'll take a break for a week, <laughs> week or two, because it's uh, not healthy. <laughs> but then, you know, I'll, I'll go on breaks, too, like, whenever I finish an album or something, I'll not do stuff for a month or two. And are those, like, video game breaks? You go on holiday? Yeah, or, yeah, video game breaks, or, like, I I don't know if other people like this, but when I'm working like on an album or a project, I have to spend a lot of time like listening to my own songs, which sucks. And you start <laughs> to get like I start to get like less and less inspired because I'm listening to less and less other cool music because I'm having to every time I'm in the car or something I'm having to or like have headphones on I'm having to check mixes or check song structures. So I I'm just like ah reset now I can like go listen to Majeure or make up a vanity set or something something sweet. Yeah yeah yeah. No I understand that. I get why people don't. Like, like, I mean, I've had that conversation a lot on this show. People don't want to get uh, influenced unnecessarily, I suppose, or like oh, yeah. sneak other people's tunes into their music. But I find music so inspiring, you know, like that's a tough one. Oh, I want to. Yeah. It's more just like I have a short commute and I just don't have any time, but I still try to like you got to listen. Yeah, for sure, man. So then what's coming up for Baldo Caster? You got any cool plans? Yeah. Right now I've got a collaboration EP that I did with uh, my old roommate, the one who showed me his Juno. Um, <laughs> now, there, now there's a euphemism. <laughs> that, that's a euphemism. <laughs> but it's like more like cinematic soundtracky stuff. And that should be coming out this summer. We'll see. No date yet. And then I've got some like random little bits, like maybe a single or two that I might put out after that. But I haven't started the next project or anything. Do these albums have themes? I mean, if you work a, like one track at a time, mm -hmm. are your albums then just more of a sort of a, a place where you just put all the singles or do you like have a theme when you're working on them? Yeah, they tend to have themes and it, it's never like intentional, but I guess that's just the way my mind works where I like the whole thing to have a vibe. I think on both of the full albums I've done kind of after maybe three or four songs, a sort of vibe emerges. <laughs> usually from the names of the songs or something like that. Sure. Like on the first one, Moonrise, I had a couple songs I noticed. I was like, I was like, man, like three or four of these names are about the moon or the sun. So I'm going to have this hilarious little idea in my head that I'm never going to tell anyone about like a moon cult and all this bullshit. <laughs> I, I'd like to hear about this moon cult. <laughs> With this, with Mirage, the new one, it's more like uh, maybe halfway in. I, I was like, I want this to be like a weird, like trippy desert journey. And it's probably not all like that, like spacey. But then there's a couple like, there's one called Shifting Sands. It's meant to be sort of like, you know, walking through the desert, stuff like that. Because you need like things to give your ears breaks. And, you know, if you have a lot of driving songs, you need more chill stuff and interludes, which I enjoy making. So I'll, I'll usually put a lot of the feeling in those ones. You should make an album about moon polygamists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is it where they're uh, Saturn and they have like four moons? Yeah. And the moons are their wives. I'm trying. <laughs> 
<laughs> your idea was a lot bigger than mine. Mine Ambitious. was literally just going to be, yeah, it was about <laughs> like just Earth polygamists that just go to the moon and I guess just get in fights with each other. <laughs> They'll fight no matter where they are. Is there any shows like that you work on that you actually like where you're like, this is actually a cool show and I'm happy to work on this? <laughs> Sometimes it's like more interesting when you get some of the more documentary stuff. Like we'll do some Smithsonian and History Channel ones. I can't remember the exact name of the series, but it's like weird, like forgotten parts of American history. And uh, I did one about vampires just recently. <laughs> uh, spoiler: there aren't vampires. Oh man! But those are kind of cool. And we did one about these like crazy indie NASCAR racers who like it's like a lower level of NASCAR that's like a more local thing but they're like it's way more dangerous like they're just straight up slamming into each other so it's actually interesting and none of them were vampires god I wish <laughs> the fucking the vampires of NASCAR <laughs> NASCARvania NASCARvania does sound kind of cool I mean I'd, I'd do it <laughs> well I'd do it <laughs> Look, man, how about this? We can probably wind down here, but maybe we'll listen to another track. Yeah. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap her up here. But I want to listen to this track. It's called Before Dawn. Uh, it's a cool song, and uh, and you're all going to dig it. I'm talking to the audience now. Uh, this is Before Dawn by Baldo Kester.
And that was Baldo Caster with the track Before Dawn. And I'm here right now with Baldo Caster. David, we've been uh, talking about a bunch of fun stuff. We're going to wind down here. Is there something we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? More about vampires. No, no. I think we, <laughs> it was cool. We talked about all the, all the things. Well, we talked about some things. Some things. It's always neat when I talk to people with sort of interesting jobs. Yeah, I forget that I have a weird job, but apparently it is because everyone gets really interested whenever I tell them and I'm like, no, it's just TLC shows and they're like, oh, tell me more. So then do you have like a room with like one of them big mixers where there's like a hundred things and levers and stuff? Yes. Many, many levers. Oh, how many? I've got nine, ten speakers and three screens. <laughs> it's a lot of technology. Look at you, man. Fucking... It's like a spaceship. Yeah, I was just going to say. That sounds really cool. I bought a little cheap uh, controller for Logic that has, I think, eight little faders on it. Yeah. Oh, I don't own any, any of it. It is furnished by... <laughs> My, my workplace. Well, you can, uh, one of these days when you get disgruntled, you can try and just pick up the whole unit and walk out the door <laughs> with this fucking gigantic <laughs> thing. <laughs> see if anyone notices. Yeah, it, it's literally built into the desk. It's so big. When I see those mixers, they're so big. Like, how the fuck do they even get them in there? They they must be modular or whatever. In pieces, yeah, you, you take it in in pieces. It's a whole, like, when you're building the room, you put it in, and, like, the desk is it's built into the desk. It's a whole thing. Why do you need so many, Lee? You don't. (laughs) (laughs) So with music, it's probably pretty apparent where it's like, you know, a million tracks, all the different instruments. And then with shows, there's even more tracks because it's like, think about even in just reality shows, they go out to record, you know, a bunch of people doing stuff. There's how many people, you know, that are part of the scene or whatever is going on, you know, that's six to eight. And then they're going to have like two recorders. So they have a backup. So that's 16 tracks already, you know, and I've got to be able to control them all. And then you got like a bunch of music and sound effects and it's a lot of stuff and to be able to have it all in front of you and just grab it quickly is pretty important otherwise it would just it would just take forever yeah but then when you got that big table i imagine you gotta like scoot the chair all the way down to like the other side like oh i gotta turn down that bird (laughs) chirping and it's like all the way at the other end bird chirping one of my friends he's like basically the video version of me he does this weird i can't do it he does this weird little bird sound where he he'll like have a cup of water and he'll it'll sound like a real bird and we put that in almost every show we do and no one has caught us no one's like it's that same damn bird (laughs) we sneak it in and it's like just one of the small pleasures yeah i know for sure you got to do that stuff i'm so sensitive to stock sound effects Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things it's always nice when you can actually like produce like an original sound because like anytime i watch a show and a fucking pot breaks or a door squeaks and it's like the same fucking sound that's in every single show and movie and we've talked about this a million times on the show like i know people are real sensitive at least now to the wilhelm scream but like to me there's like a cd of you know like two cat meows and a pot break and a door squeak and (laughs) footsteps and like once you hear them you just hear it in everything and i'm always just like you guys couldn't record your own door you're watching some really dramatic how many pots are they breaking? well you know sometimes they use the pot breaking sound not even for a pot like a plate yeah yeah it's just a sound to suggest that there's commotion and something broke in the commotion and like the fucking ambience of that pot break sound doesn't even match the movies it's in like you know or like whenever there's the fucking female gasping crowd noise that's in like every trailer when like an embarrassing thing happens and when you see it in like a movie it's like Mm -hmm. who are these voices you know what i mean there's like a few people in the room and all of a sudden there's this like (gasps) like gasp but it's like a crowd gasping it just ah. doesn't match yeah fucking anyway that's a whole other thing if i was at the big (laughs) mixer i would have turned that knob to zero 
Well, look, dude, listen. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Fuck. Meet you. <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is the part of the day where my brain shuts down. <laughs> Fucking nice to meet ya. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah, but you got to uh, you got to keep on uh, making cool music, all right? Because I dig it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Is there anything you want to say to the people? Hmm, I feel like I should think so hard about this. Nah, just be be good to each other. Listen to all the music. Just listen to all the music. It's all good. <laughs> Man, I don't know what that was. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a great sentiment. Listen to all the music. <laughs> all right, man. Well, look, you have a lovely day. I look forward to more uh, releases from Baldo Caster. Keep on doing good things, and we'll uh, we'll fucking talk to you again, man. You bring out some more tunes. Yeah, thank you, man. All right, and that was my conversation with Baldo Caster. Uh, that was fun. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Please tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Don't be like Zen Frazier and stop listening for five years. I would like you to listen to next week's show um, because it'll be good. I still have a bunch of interviews that I recorded when we first went into lockdown, and I'm trying to get through those. And so hopefully I'll have a few more shows with uh, double the guests for you guys. But uh, remember, if you need anything to listen to and you haven't listened to the back catalog of Beyond Synth, do that. And if you've never checked out the Beyond Synth YouTube channel or the Twitch page, do that because there's a lot of uh, fun videos on there, too, that you might enjoy. And that is all I have to say. So thanks for listening to the show. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth, or you can donate directly on beyondsynth.com. Beyond Synth can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. And remember to like and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. Until next time... Until next time.